This episode of Industry Focus is brought to you by Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Rocket Mortgage brings the mortgage process into the 21st century with a fast, easy, and completely online process. Check out Rocket Mortgage today at quickenloans.com fool. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. It is December 7th. I'm your host, Christine Hargis, and I have Motley Fool healthcare writer Todd Campbell on the line. How is it going, Todd? Hi, Christine. How are you? I'm good. I feel like I haven't talked to you on the show for a while. Oh, I know. I in you know, it feels like the times that we have talked, we've been talking about, you know, not the best of news for investors. Uh, so it'll be nice to talk about a couple uh, couple positives today. Right. Even the show that you did last week with Michael Douglas was kind of a bunch of bummer news items. Yeah, exactly. You know, and we've got to, you know, we've got to get into the spirit, right? The holiday spirit, right? Exactly. Talk about some things that are positive going into the end of the year. Tis the season to be merry. All right, let's do it. So we're going to talk about the 21st Century Cures Act, which I think is very exciting and good merry news. But first, before we get to that, we're going to talk a little bit about a very important meeting that happened in the healthcare world earlier this week. It is the annual meeting of the American Society of Hematology. So blood and blood cancer. Um, there, it's ASH, ASH, you'll hear us call it. This was out in San Diego. It was from December 3rd through 6th. And essentially what this is, is all the biggest names in biotech that work in this space anyway get together. They release their data, they announce new drugs, and everybody gets to rub elbows and share research and results. And it's very exciting for scientists and for patients and also for investors. Yeah, some years it's not as exciting for investors. It's more of a, a blasé event. But this year is not that case. I mean, we've got some really interesting data that got presented this year that is uh, impacting and moving stocks and could, you know, impact and move stocks in 2017 and into 2018. And, you know, in looking through all of the data, uh, and especially given the fact that last week we were talking, uh, Michael and I were talking a little about Juno's stumbles in developing um, a new class of drugs called CAR-Ts. I thought it might be nice to talk about some, some positive things that are happening in CAR-T development. Sounds good. CAR-Ts were certainly front and center at this conference. I think that probably received the most attention of any other topic there. And there were a handful of companies that presented data, and it seemed like it was all pretty good data. Yeah, it was pretty positive data. There were two companies that kind of stood out to me only because you know they presented data from registration-ready or pivotal trials that could allow them to obtain FDA-accelerated approval in 2017. So it's not necessarily just, hey, you know, we've got some really interesting early stage data. We've got some early stage data plus a chance at commercialization in relatively short order. And just to go back in history for a second and remind any new listeners, what we're talking about with CAR-Ts is, is an entirely new way to battle back against cancer. It's a process that involves removing the T cells from a patient's bloodstream. Uh, re-engineering them so that they can better find and destroy cancer, and then reinserting them back into the patient. So it's a it's a very new approach. It's a targeted, if you will, type approach um, toward getting rid of, of of cancer and specifically blood cancer, which uh, seems to be very amenable to this type of approach. And, and two one- of the companies that are in the leadership position in this CAR T space are Kite Pharmaceuticals 
and uh, the Goliath, uh, Novartis. Right. And Kite is a really interesting story here. It seems to me like they will probably be the first one to cross the finish line of the CAR-T race if things continue to go well. Reported really positive data on Tuesday at the conference. Uh, The drug is called uh, KTEC-19. The trial that it was going through is called Zuma-1. And yeah, this is a this is an awesome uh, uh, advance potentially for a very tough to treat group of patient patients who are diagnosed with something called uh, diffuse large B cell lymphoma, which is the and most common type of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Exactly, the most common type, about thirty-five percent of non-Hodgkin lymphoma, um, and and specifically, this drug would be used in patients who failed to respond or saw their disease return after current standard treatments. Um, so this would, would not be a frontline use for this, at least initially. It would be used in the toughest to treat patients. And historically, that patient subgroup has not had a, a, a good prognosis. However, really good trial results. 76% of the patients that were being studied experienced an objective response, and 47% of them went into complete remission, which, just to emphasize the point about these patients not being receiving their first-line drug, they've already been through therapy and it's failed. So these are patients that have a really, really strong need. So to see numbers like this is pretty incredible. Yeah, you know, they kite uh, went back and did a study, a retroactive analysis study to try and see what's happened with this this patient subset in the past prior to the developing uh, this CAR T. And what they found is that the response rate typically is only about 26% and the complete responder rate is only around I think it's like 8%. It's very low. And you know, so I mean theoretically this is a major advance um, for, you know, with, with, it's not a huge patient population, but a, a patient population that theoretically, if this drug gets approval, um, could still be worth, you know, a pretty good amount of revenue uh, to investors as early as, you know, starting as early as, you know, late next year. Very cool. So we also mentioned Novartis a little bit, and Novartis is definitely not a pure CAR-T play in the way that Kite is, but they do have a really interesting CAR-T program. The drug is called CTL-019, and that had some really also awesome data coming out of this conference. I know, 82% complete um, uh, response rate uh, within pediatric patients diagnosed with acute lymphoblastic leukemia. So, you know, you're talking about, wow, what what a, a potentially great advance in treatment, again, for uh, a tough-to-treat group of patients that don't have a, a tremendous number of other treatment options available to them. And this AL is the most common cancer diagnosed in children. Right, about 2,500 cases in the United States annually in children. Um, interestingly enough, this drug, CTL-019, it targets the same protein that's expressed uh, on the cancer cells targeted by um, Kite, uh, Kite's drug and Juno's drug. And um, the different, I, I don't know why Juno's drug is, is delivering such safety concerns necessarily, um, but one thing that's interesting is Novar's drug appears to be much safer um, but the trial that Novartis conducted was in children, where the Juno's trial was in adults. And obviously, there could be some differences associated with that. Regardless, Novartis's, um, uh, uh, this drug's performance in trials so far is good enough 
that Novartis expects to be able to file for FDA approval on their accelerated pathway next year. So Kite's already filed a rolling submission that they're going to complete in early Q1. Novartis thinks that they're going to be able to uh, file for approval some point next year. So both of these drugs conceivably could be on the market in, in bringing in revenue for these companies in 2018, um, at least. And this is a type of therapy that we've been watching for quite a while. So to be getting this close to the applications and potential approvals, that's pretty exciting. Yeah, especially how quickly it happened. I mean, I think that like Kite's research into this, into CAR-T's um, through a collaboration, I, I want to say it was with the National Can- Cancer Institute began like in 2012. So, I mean, you're t- from, t- from start to finish, you're talking, you know, only a few years to be able to actually get a drug uh, potentially in the hands. of. We have to say potentially, right? We always have to remind everybody who's listening that, you know, anything can happen from here. These drugs are not approved yet. They still have to pass the FDA's gauntlet. Um, but it's still pretty impressive that we potentially could have these drugs on the market within such a, t- a short period of time. And there are certainly black swans that could happen, as, as you mentioned. These drugs are a little bit infamous for having adverse effects, uh, events associated with them. So definitely something to keep an eye on and maybe not bet the ranch on them. But it's looking pretty good for the CAR-T space. This episode of Industry Focus is brought to you by Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Rocket Mortgage wants to revolutionize the process of getting a mortgage by bringing the mortgage approval process into the 21st century. It's fast, powerful, and completely online. Rocket Mortgage has taken all of the complicated and time-consuming parts of applying for a mortgage out of the equation. Do you hate searching through stacks of old files and paperwork? With Rocket Mortgage, you can easily share your bank statements and pay stubs at the touch of a button, helping you to get approved in minutes for a custom mortgage solution that's been tailored to your unique financial situation. Even better, with Rocket Mortgage, you can do all of this on your phone or your tablet. It's a quick online process that you can manage from the convenience of your couch. So, if you're looking to refinance your mortgage or buy a home, check out Rocket Mortgage today at quickenloans.com fool. Equal housing lender, licensed in all 50 states, nmlsconsumeraccess.org, number 3030. Thanks again to Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans for supporting our podcast. So, Todd, the second topic that we wanted to talk about today is also a very, very exciting one, and this is the 21st Century Cures Act, which, as of yesterday, Tuesday, has been passed by both houses of Congress and is on its way to Obama for a signature. It's this is you know this is the first opportunity we get. Normally, with with regulation and and policy, you know, this year, Christine, we've been talking about oh, you know, what's happening with drug pricing and pushback and and all that. We haven't focused a lot on what Washington could do to boost innovation in drug development um, as a, as a, as a source of growth for the industry and. That makes this uh, act, you know, really important for investors to know about because it does exactly that. It provides um, a series. We'll call them perks for no better. I, I don't know how else to call them perks to the industry, and to to regulatory bodies that are designed to um, increase the amount of money that's available to research new drugs and new medical devices, to speed them more quickly. Uh, to the FDA to uh, accelerate the timeline for review of those um, drugs and devices by the FDA, um, and, you know, essentially to get these things on the market more quickly so that they can start helping patients. 
Right. The premise here is that the FDA was stuck in the past and it wasn't equipped for the modern era of medicine. And you can even see that in the name of this this thing. It's the 21st Century Cures Act. This is meant to bring the entire drug discovery and approval process into the 21st century. I feel like I'm still doing the rocket mortgage ad when I say that. Um, So it's a a $6.3 billion piece of legislation. And a lot of that money is going directly into medical research. $4.8 billion will go to the NIH. This will fund things like the Moonshot Cancer Program, the Brain Initiative, the Precision Medicine Initiative. So this is research that's going into things like cancer and Alzheimer's, really, really important and often underserved indications. Right, you got 4.8 billion over 10 years going, like you said, to the NIH. You've got another 500 uh, million over, uh, I think, a 10-year period that's heading to the FDA to 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 boost hiring uh, and to boost wages. Um, you've got uh, another billion dollars over two years going to help support uh, programs to combat opioid uh, uh, abuse. Um, so there's a lot of of I guess money that is being put into the system. Uh, with the concept of of doing exactly what we outlined, which is develop more drugs more quickly and get them into patient hands faster. Um, the, the, the 21st Century uh, Cures Act is not a small bill. Um, it's almost a thousand pages long. Um, it was very heavily uh, lobbied by both um, the pharmaceutical and medical device industries. 1,300 uh, lobbyists. Yeah, I mean, it was a, it, this was a, is a long bill coming, um, and as a result, you know, there is some debate that it may favor the industry more than it should. However, we'll leave that debate to others and instead focus on, you know, what kind of things specifically does this act do um, to help uh, get those drugs and those products in patients' hands. And, you know, there's a number of different sections in in this act that address everything from deregulation um, to changing the the way that the regulatory body evaluates whether or not to approve a drug or a device. Right. What is going to be required for the FDA to greenlight a drug is going to change a little bit. The FDA is now going to consider what's called real-world evidence, so outside of just your your clinical trials. And there's also a, a little bit different notion of what sort of data from trials can be, can be considered. Um, now, these randomized trials that we're used to can be supplemented with more information, such as genetic subgroups of patients. And again, all of this is with the intention to speed this process along, to make it more efficient, uh, more cost-effective for the drug-developing companies to get their drugs into the hands of the FDA and then hopefully eventually onto the market shelves. Right, you've got Section 3021, which is is encouraging a new novel trial design. You've got Section 3011, which is establishing a a, a, um, a review pathway for the use of biomarkets or surrogate endpoints that could help speed along drug development. You've got you know Section 3001, which um, we talked about patient experience, elevating the importance of patient experience data in the review process. Um, you've got other things in there as well, including the extension of the pediatric voucher system, which is a system that provides a, a relatively high value voucher 
to companies who develop drugs for rare uh, diseases that affect children. You've got a lot of different pieces to this puzzle. And um, I encourage uh, I encourage investors to spend a little bit of time going through the nuts and bolts of it because uh, there are some things that I think will help boost innovation and in an environment where pricing is going to be um, more highly scrutinized, innovation is going to become the primary source of revenue and profit growth throughout the industry. So, you know, that, that's important. Absolutely. And this is, without a doubt, a win for drug developers. And it seems, at least from what we've said so far, that this is a win all around. But I will point out that there are some parts to it that are a little bit more contentious. The bill passed by a huge margin. It was 392 to 26 votes. But just to give a little bit of an idea of what those 26 are talking about uh, to, to complain about this, um, this act, one of the items in it allows for the promotion of off-label use, meaning uh, off-label is when you use a drug for something other than its approved indication. You know, so say it's it's approved for one thing, and uh, there's a little bit of theory that it might also work for something else. It's using it for that something else. That's the off-label use. So it, this uh, bill will allow for the promotion of off-label use to insurance companies. And the argument here is that by is that many of the people that are actually making these prescribing decisions are your insurers. It's your your formulary committees rather than the actual physicians themselves. And so in that case, shouldn't payers be allowed to receive information from the pharmaceuticals? So the opposition there is saying that this is pretty much fraud to take a drug that's approved for one thing and there's no evidence of its efficacy in the other indication, but we're going to market it for that anyway to these payers. So not to give my own personal take on that too much, but you can see how that is a little bit of a contentious point. Yeah, without a doubt, the, 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 I mean, if you read through the bill, it shows there's a lot of points where it says we are not diminishing the, um, the, the requirements um, of safety and efficacy uh, in order to win FDA approval. They continue to hammer that home. Yet you're right, there are parts in here where they're, say, where they're seemingly making it easier for drug companies to advance drugs that you, know, you could argue won't be as um, highly vetted as maybe they had been in the past. Um, it, you know, who knows what kind of unintended consequences could result from that, and it's something that shouldn't be ignored. Right, and I have seen opinion articles stating that the phrase FDA approval could come to mean less. So, I mean, you have you have your ups and downs here, of course, with everything. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you know, the other drawback, I suppose, would be that you know this is a fully funded bill, and when you fully fund something, something something has to be a loser, right? You know, you've got to cut back somewhere else. And some of the money that is being uh, used to fund this is actually coming out of preventative programs uh, and programs that are associated with the ACA. So there is some a little bit of a debate on that as far as okay, well, you know, what's the unintended consequence of shifting money from these preventative programs to these programs now, which are going to be developing devices and 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 drugs instead. That's really interesting. I mean, I'm personally a huge proponent of preventative care, so eh, not sure how I feel about that one. Um, just to to give a, a more comprehensive picture of this act, because we've really only talked about the the medical research and the FDA part of it. There's also money going to fight the opioid ep- excuse me opioid epidemic, um, which that this is 
enormous if you guys haven't seen it in the news. The CDC says that more people died from drug overdoses in 2014 than any other year on record. And a lot of these are related to opioids. And this is your prescription painkillers or it's heroin. Um, since 1999, I read that the number of opioid-related overdoses has quadrupled. So this is an enormous problem and something that is going to be addressed with a billion dollars going to the states for more treatment, education, and enforcement to try to battle this uh, epidemic. And then the other uh, part of this act that I feel like is worth mentioning is that there's also a lot towards mental health care. And this is an issue that has just recently come to national attention, particularly for veterans. And it's something that is wrapped into the 21st Century Cures Act that, hey, we should pay a little bit more attention to mental health care. Yeah, that was a relatively late addition, and uh, I think it's a it's a welcome addition. It's an important addition because we we can and we should do more to improve mental health in our country. I completely agree. Is there any other part of the act that we've missed before I wrap up? I'm, I'm sure there is. <laughs> Dumb question. Nearly yeah, a thousand pages long, Christine. Uh, any um, major part that you're just yeah, dying no, to I get out? That, yeah, no, we've we've hit on all all the important parts, and I'm I'm sure that you know. Uh, there's going to be plenty of content to coming on the Motley Fool website, so stay tuned. Absolutely. And listeners, if you take a look at the the act and you find anything that stands out to you that we didn't cover, shoot me an email. Uh, our, our email is industryfocus at fool.com. We absolutely love hearing from you guys. Todd, thank you so much. And listeners, thanks for tuning in with us. As always, people on the program may have interests in the stocks that they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. For Todd Campbell, I'm Christine Hargis. Thanks so much for listening, and Fool on! Fool on!